0: Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. I am honored to have a client on the podcast today. Her name is Florence, and Florence is 75 years old, and she has experienced a lot of trauma throughout her life, multiple, multiple times. Welcome, Florence. Thank
1: you, Anne. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having this organization. It's uh, something I wish I had had 45 years ago.
0: So, Florence, I wanted to ask you, over the years, how has it changed? Like, how did you relate to it, say, in your 30s or 40s or 50s? Did you try different things? I
1: would say that I have engaged several processes in trying to figure out what was going on. I think this is probably one of the most challenging issues that a spouse can be called upon to deal with. And I tell my husband and everybody I know that I'm everything I am today because of him, because I had to survive.
0: How old were you when you and your husband married? Um, Let me see. How long have you been married? Let's Forty, 44 years. I
1: was introduced to his illness, but I didn't know it was an illness three days after we were married. You were about 30 at the time? Yes, in my early 30s. Mm -hmm. My first reaction was devastation and fear. Back in those days, women didn't have the same options that they do today. And I had just moved my two daughters and myself to a new location where I had no friends and no associates and very little opportunity to find gainful employment to support myself. In doing so, I had cut off any support systems that I might have had, and I was really on my own. So were you married before this? I was. You
0: had children? I was.
1: Okay. So you had two daughters coming into this marriage. Right, and they were five and eight. I went very deep into... A place of trying to comprehend. I didn't call myself a spiritual person at that time in my life. I did not have a religious persuasion, and I found myself searching In order to do that, I did what I think a lot of people do from what I've read, is that they explore with their spouse, trying to figure out what it is that their spouse is looking for and needing. And of course, that leads one into probably the darkest places on earth because it's a world of debauchery. It didn't take me long to figure out that that was not for me. You know, I had to make a heartfelt decision and tell my husband that I could not live that kind of life with, you know, freedom of sex with other people and going to nudist camps and pornographic exhibitions. I mean, it was just not the right thing for me at all. It hurt my heart. It didn't help my heart. And uh, he apologized and swore that he would never make those bad choices again. And we started over until the next time. and. By the next time I became aware of his activities, I knew enough to go for help. We both went through a lot of counseling. He was identified as a sex addict. That being said, there were not the organizations that there are today, like the SLIA, 12-step programs. He went through a lot of one-on-one counseling. But... It came trailing back in, and the problem was I didn't realize that he had regressed back to those activities. I only was experiencing the negative behavior and the abuse, which after 20, 25, 30 years of marriage, you get to the point where you do your own thing. You make the best of it, and if somebody wants to be a damn fool and act like a child, let them be it a damn fool and act like a child. You just can't let your life be run by that, you know? Did you know you were being abused or did you just think of it as, I I, I, I knew I was being abused and I knew he was sick. I've been doing a lot of reflecting because the last year has been a year of repeated difficulties and such a challenge. And I remember back when my youngest daughter was 15 years old and she and I took a trip out West when we visited a childhood friend of mine. And he asked me face to face, what's wrong? You're not right. You know, I said, well, you know, my husband isn't right. He's sick. I didn't elaborate on it. How could I? I didn't have the words for it. I remember thinking many years later, the only people that I could tell that to were people that I'd known for a long time who actually had some confidence in me because I became aware of the fact that nobody would believe me. Mm -hmm. People will say, oh, he's so charming. Oh, he's such a sweet man. And he is. (laughs) And he's a beguiling, needful child. What do you do? Go out on the street and bang a drum and say I'm being emotionally abused by a man who can't show me love or who can't relate to me? No, you can't do that. Nobody will believe you. So you try to create wellness within a challenging situation. And that's what I did for years until it all broke open. For the last 10 years, I thought he had frontal temporal lobe disorder. It makes the second time I've misdiagnosed him in my life. So obviously I'm not much of a psychotherapist, but because of his anger I felt that his actions were typical of frontal temporal lobe dementia. In fact, I actually got him to go to a neurologist. It was really embarrassing and a waste of time. It's not Alzheimer's. I'm right. It's frontal temporal lobe. Well, I wasn't right. Yeah, it's very hard when you get older. Things don't work the way they used to, and sex isn't what it was when you were kids. But every now and then, you get an opportunity to enjoy one another to some extent, and uh, he gave me an STD, and that was the rude awakening. Mm -hmm. He had been back to his old tricks, and it took me four months to get him to come clean. And he's been in one-on-one therapy and three SLAA meetings a week since then of his own volition. He's reading everything voraciously that it can on the subject, it's better
0: late than never, I guess. Wow. For our listeners, I just want to talk about SLAA for a minute. What she's referring to is called Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. There are multiple different types of 12-step for sexaholism. There's SLAA, there's SA, there's SAA, there's SA Lifeline. I personally do SA Lifeline. So now that we've kind of had this overview, it sounds like in the beginning, the way that you dealt with it was you tried to meet his needs. And then as you got older and it just kept happening and happening, you sort of started detaching. Mm -hmm. How would you say your reactions to him are now, right now at 75 and him 80, It's been like a fast forward
1: of an earlier movie of everything that ever occurred. I go in a circle and some days I'm distraught and I'm in pain and I feel sorry for myself. And then I go through days where I am so angry. Those are not bad days because I let them have it. I tell him that he cannot sit there and put on the TV and not answer my questions, that after all, I've had all these years of going without. The least he can do is respond to me and pay attention. And I'm more demanding and I don't accept his disassociation. Some days I feel like nothing's ever happened. We're the best friends that we've always been. It's like a circular thing that goes around. I've been able to grapple with this because now I can be honest with our friends and our family and everybody knows. The freedom to be honest and forthright
0: makes it possible to handle and work with. Absolutely. Without it, it's impossible, right? right. Now that we're in this different age, I'm 40. The first place we go when we have something happen is we start searching for things. Right. We go to social media. We see, is there a group like this on Facebook? Oh, I did that too, by the way. And that's how I found you all. Which is fantastic. What thoughts do you have about women who are starting to search for this and think about this five years after marriage or 10 years after marriage? If you could go back and talk to yourself. (laughs) You can't. Help them. You can't fix them.
1: I made a very concerted decision many, many years ago, considering the pain and the grief and the disappointment and the challenges, probably 10 years into the marriage, that marriage wasn't just for me to feel comfortable and happy, it was a family. And I was going to build a family out of the dregs of this mess if it killed me. And I think I did it. Our children are very bonded. They laugh a lot. They say, you know, we don't care what happens to the two of you. We're bonded and that's it. They spend holidays together. And we had all the children and grandchildren with us for his 80th birthday last year. I feel very successful for that. But it was in a different age. Today, there are avenues for healing. And that I think anybody who's identified with this kind of illness needs to
0: get to the best possible resources. I agree with you. At the beginning of recovery, especially now that there's so many resources, Mm. women are very excited and their husbands are very excited. Like, oh, recovery is going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. And then, you know, five, 10 years down the road, it's a lot harder than they thought. And it's, no, it's it never goes you know way. it never goes away yeah. and you end up being
1: the caregiver this has been my counter argument to my husband and all of his attempts to heal himself as it was really convenient now that you're 80 and impotent <laughs> you made these choices they have a responsibility and that responsibility mm-hmm. is to their partner and their families. As somebody who suffered from it my whole life, I'm saying, you can't give me back the past 20 years. I didn't know you were doing this. I knew you were being a jerk. But if I had known, if I had known he had gone back to illicit deviant sexual practices, I wouldn't have stayed. And I might've had the chance to build a life with someone who might've genuinely been able to care and show real regard. And I missed that. And nobody can give that back to me. That's where the anger comes from. I was told, you know, by a lot of professionals, oh, you need counseling. So I tried that. I'm sure this isn't true across all mental health professionals, but what I found was that most therapists are not equipped to deal with this kind of addiction mm-hmm. and right. and they tend to try to use their behavior modification which they've learned in graduate school somewhere if you do this then he'll do that if you do that right it doesn't work And I went to four sessions with one therapist and I just walked out. I said, this isn't good for me. I'm getting angry about this. So I quit going. And I've also challenged my husband on the fact that the SLAA thing is very self-absorbing. They're all involved in taking care of themselves and getting better and praise God. And, you know, it's like, wait a minute. You're still just thinking about yourself. First, it was sex. Now it's your healing process. Where does that leave me? And it still leaves me on my own. (laughs) It still leaves me wanting
0: and, you know, (laughs) wanting. So Florence joined the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Club. When you found us, how did you feel? It was good to know that I wasn't alone. Most
1: people just don't get it. They think your husband's a philanderer. Well, of course they are, but there's so much more to it than that. The best thing that's happened to me in the last year is the ability to be honest, to speak my truth. I am still sad about the loss that I've had in my life. Uh, There are people that have worse lives and I'm not going to bemoan all the good things. But I think that people need to reevaluate who they are and what they want. And I do think that a lot of women, myself included, were raised with low expectations and low sense of self. And so we didn't really know when we weren't being treated well. We may have known it, but we didn't think we had any right to do anything about it.
0: I appreciate you sharing your story. I'm so grateful that you found Betrayal Trauma Recovery. We have a checklist. That I've been developing for a year for women to know exactly what they need to do when they find out about porn. If they find porn on the computer, if they have an inkling of maybe my husband is looking at porn, or maybe he's having an affair, or have an inkling of abuse. This checklist is intended to save women years and years of their life to save women from going through that cycle of trying to figure out what's going on and put safety as their first priority so they can get to safety immediately. My life goal is to save women from years and years of pain and confusion. And I want to get this checklist in the hands of every single woman all over the world so that right when she suspects it, she knows exactly what to do. You can find the checklist from the BTR homepage. So go to btr.org and then there's a huge button that says checklist. Please plaster this all over the internet, put it on all your secret Facebook groups, let women know. At the end of January, we had almost 20,000 RSS subscribers. You are making BTR happen, thank you. It is changing lives. I'm so grateful for all of you who are part of this movement to create more peace and more happiness in this world. And until next week, stay safe out there.